Imagine you're a startup or have just formed a new company and you have hired a new security person. Imagine you're, you're that first security hire or one of the first security hire and you want to roll out an AppSec program. Where do you begin? How do you do it? How do you judge success? What are the challenges and what are the different aspects of it? Welcome everyone to another deep dive conversation of everything cyber. This episode is a very special one because in this episode we have our first guest speaker, Brian Lamb. And with Brian, we're going to dive right into building an AppSec program. Yep, we're all in here now. <laughs> Hi awesome, guys. awesome. Hey everyone and welcome, Brian. Thank you. Hey, good to meet you guys. Good to meet you too, Brian. Thanks a lot, Brian, for uh, coming into today's talk. And I'm sure the audience is wondering, who is Brian? Do you want to give a quick introduction? Yeah, cool. Um, so currently, I'm a security engineer at Eucalyptus, um, which is a healthcare startup. And I'm basically leading their security program. Um, and what that means is I'm focused on building out pretty much absolutely everything. So like the AppSec program, InfraSec, corporate security stuff, um, and the incident response functions as well. Um, Previously, I worked at Salesforce as well in their M&A security team. Um, and I've also worked at a couple of consultancies and a couple of startups as well. So, yeah, I guess um, in the future, I probably want to be more involved in the startup space, um, especially like the venture capital side of things and doing kind of like security advisory, which would be awesome. Awesome. I could see a lot of very interesting experiences you've already there you you've worked at a very large established company where there probably has very defined security posture from that starting a brand new company uh the the program of a brand new company all by yourself that must must have been like a lot of uh, interesting experiences there so yeah without without further ado uh let's actually jump right into it I remember when I you told me about your experiences on how you are one of the first security hires. The the question I I had is, where do you even begin if you want to start a, a AppSec program? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, um, I think regardless of like anywhere you work, really, um, where you actually want to begin is kind of understanding the business and like the yeah, just kind of like the business objectives. Because at the end of the day like a company is there for the purpose of like, I guess, like making money or whatever, like the business objectives are, right? Not for you to kind of build the best security program in the world. Well, it is really good to have that as an objective, but like you want to really understand the core of the business. So I think where you start is kind of just like talking with like leadership and talking with like mm. your management and like whoever else is um, kind of as a grasp of that business itself and just... Um, yeah, just like figuring out uh, what the business is about and like who your core customers are before you even get into anything like deep and technical. Awesome. Um, I had actually a sort of a follow-up question with this one, um, which is that at what stage uh, do the companies even think about having a secure a security person? Is, is it when they face some kind of regulatory requirement or is it, they, they had a, I don't know, close call or security incident. What uh, what was the premises and or when do companies feel that, okay, this is when we probably need security to come in? I think in my past jobs, um, especially at startups, like some startups that I've worked in, definitely they've hired the first security person because there was a need to meet like 
certain compliance requirements and they, they couldn't have, there wasn't anybody in the company with the right skill set to kind of um, do the work to meet the compliance, right? Like, for example, like, you know, so one of the compliance measures might be to and they uh, ensure that encryption is enabled across the company, but like someone who without technical background wouldn't be able to do that. So they need to hire someone with that skill gap, essentially. Um, but I've also worked in startups where pretty much they've hired people which um, have come on board um, much earlier in the phase without any need for like compliance or without even any sort of security issue that have, that have come up, um, which is awesome. Like for example, Eucalyptus right now, like they hired me as the first engineer without them actually having any sort of like requirement that they needed to meet or um, they didn't have any sort of big security gaping hole, which they wanted to um, close off, I guess. So, yeah. So it depends on where you work, I think. Yeah, I see. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, or sort of moving back to that question of where do we even begin? Uh, we sp spoke about understanding the business con uh, context and the business requirements and going from there. Um, after we have understood what the requirements are for the company and what are, the, let's say, the, the critical assets or the highest risk, is there any particular framework or maturity model that you utilize to sort of create roadmaps or things like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one framework that I'm following at the moment is like CIS, um, critical security controls. Um, it's, a, you know, globally recognized like framework. Um, and it's something that your leadership can always map back to, to kind of see the current state of your like risk posture. Cause to them, like the risk posture is the most, absolutely the most important thing that they need to see. Um, so yeah, CIS is like a good way to, to create security initiatives based on, um, yeah, what, and, and determine like what you need to do for your future, like kind of quarters or future work. A risks-based methodology for communicating your threats and the risks that your business would face from a security perspective in general, would you say it's like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything should be like a risk-based approach. Yeah, that's good to hear. Since you have had different experiences going from uh, small startups to large-scale businesses, what would you say is like the key difference that you see from a security standpoint? Um, I think like from a security standpoint, like I guess in terms of the posture itself, uh, in startup security posture is way less mature. Um, things are moving super fast. Your business goals are always changing and you could be like pivoting to like another product um, within like, you know, a couple of months time. And there's also like, little to no established engineering and security foundations usually. Mm -hmm. And like the security culture isn't actually built that well, but as opposed to like big organizations where it's way more mature typically, and like things are moving at much slower pace. So you can kind of predict new features and products being built. And there's also kind of security culture, usually well integrated into the company already. So there's little work you have to do to kind of convince um, engineers to like do X, Y, and Z really. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. I was wondering, like you said, that the, the things are moving very fast in a startup space. So, for example, if you had to meet certain compliance requirements with such changes happening, uh, how do you maintain your security posture throughout these changes? Um, so, do you mean kind of like like a new regulatory requirement that has come in that's forced you to do like you know do something? I guess. 
yeah, you could to react say, to that change. Yeah, for example, like Austria is looking at new laws coming in with all the recent breaches in regards mm. to personally identifiable information. And you now have to identify where all this information is located, how, how have you secured it, um, mm. and how are you managing that data. So yeah. in such cases, uh, with such movement, how do you keep track of all this information? Yeah, 100%. I think um, that's kind of part of your job as a security engineer, it's, it's to kind of um, be aligned with like new changes that come uh, from a legal point of view. Uh, and I think if you're lucky enough to have like a legal team you work with as well, they'll also be on top of those things, uh, which I do fortunately at Eucalyptus. Um, and I guess when we kind of see that these changes are coming, we figure out together, um, get together in a room basically and just figure out what we need to do to kind of meet those new requirements. Uh, so it's, yeah, I don't think it's any different really between big orgs and like smaller startups. Mm -hmm. Like it's just about getting together and figuring out like where's the gap um, to meet that requirement then the work you need to do to um, meet that requirement and reprioritizing potentially like your the work this quarter to meet that depending on kind of the like I guess priority and severity of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Um, Brian, um, so this is sort of coming to my mind naturally uh, from what you said on how you know startups need to move at a you know, at a very quick pace and at the same time security needs to do its thing in in a startup environment how do you roll out this especially foundational security changes and processes which i sometimes you know it can cause friction it's more additional loops that the dev team needs to jump through how do you may ensure that the pace of development or the growth of the startup is not hindered by all these secu new security requirements and processes you're rolling out. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's definitely ways around it, like um, in terms of like being able to add your own security kind of um, due diligence mm -hmm. into uh, engineering like workflow. So one of the easiest ways to do it is to kind of just build or use um, skill by default uh, kind of features or, or uh, tools. Uh, for example, uh, if you use um, Amazon's uh, Amazon Web Services, there's a uh, thing called security policies or server control policies, which allows you to kind of put in secure guardrails, uh, for example, where your developers can't create resources in a certain region. And if you have something like that enabled, then by default, your developers would just not be able to do it. And then it wouldn't really add additional friction to their current process. Um, in fact, it'll be worse if they like, you know, create a resource and then you're going to waste time trying to figure out like where that resource is created. And if it was created in like the wrong region, then you're going to have to go and fix that. And you're going to work to you have to waste time working together to do that. So yeah, secure defaults is like a really good way to do that. Mm, interesting. Um, is it something similar to, I, uh, I can't remember the, uh, name of it or in AWS there was something called uh, a control ceiling or like a policy control ceiling where uh, even if your developer creates a new policy or something it cannot override your existing policy so you're just adding like a ceiling to what what kind of um, privileges that they can have I think we had something similar like uh, yeah. no developer policy or IAM policy or yeah. whatever it is it cannot have yeah. uh, it create an administration yeah. Rule, things yeah. like that. 
sorry, uh, sorry, Brad, similar to that, just yep, another example I had uh, is in terms of hardened service. Like, so you have hardened operating systems that you deploy. You already know yeah. the pre-configured settings within this, and it meets certain requirements that you have. Uh, so that's another example for it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's that's another good example of a secure default. Like, there's so many ways to um, kind of implement secure defaults across an organization. Um, and, like, there's, yeah, it's kind of like no excuse to not have secure defaults, basically. And I think um, the problem is that a lot of organizations still don't adopt this approach. Um, and I think it's still kind of like a relatively new concept, kind of um, triggered by uh, Netflix's security team. Um, uh, for anyone watching, like, there's Netflix has, like, an amazing... Uh, has amazing blogs and articles on like, their secure default programs. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's pretty much, yeah, pretty much a very good thing to do. Yeah, the paved road philosophy. Exactly, yeah. paved road. Yeah. 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 Surya, did you have any follow-up questions regarding to that startup versus big organization and different yeah. to yeah. that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so again, tying up to the speed of movement within startups, so versus a well-built large organization, uh, one of the things that you'll face that you said is that you do your risk analysis based on which you're going to deploy security solutions to target them. So how do you focus on improving your existing tooling and process or comparing startup versus a large organization? Yeah, um, the, the funny thing is actually like in startups, usually you don't even, you're not even at that level where you can think about improving your tooling. Like at a big organization, like <laughs> for example, in, for example, in Salesforce, we had very well uh, established like security programs for like code scanning, for uh, third party dependencies, for basically like every single thing that you can think of. Um, and you'd, you'd obviously, you'd look at metrics, you actually track like the, I don't know, efficiency in terms of maybe like, how fast your code scanning tool runs in a in a pipeline, um, or like how many false positives there are, and your your next quarterly objectives might be to reduce the rate of false positive with your security tooling, right? Yeah. But at a at a startup, you don't even have you're not even at that level yet. Um, so like you kind of have to like build that foundation first to make sure you've got like a hundred percent coverage um, across all engineering projects. So it's like you're taking like a lot of steps back, looking at like ten thousand feet view. Versus like a 100 feet view at say like a company like Salesforce. So yeah, yeah, that's a big difference there. Yeah, it's like a different in terms of maturity of their security programs in general. You could say exactly. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, so guys, um, I want to move the sort of focus shift over the focus from the company and to the individual, but in the same sort of space, which was let's say uh, as a security. Uh, engineer or an AppSec person, a startup versus a big company, what are the kind of your personal work experience slash growth perspective uh, point of view? How do you think those two differentiate? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'd actually like to add another category in that mix. So with security work, I feel like there's you can actually kind of separate into yeah, startups, um, big companies and consultancies as well. Mm, okay. Consultancies are actually very different to um, startups and big companies too, um, or at least big tech companies or big banks or whatever. Um, so starting off with, I guess, consultancies, um, the pros for that is like you, you get, you get exposure to a lot of, uh, clients, a lot of different clients. Um, so that means you can learn a ton of different things over like a small period of time. Um, but kind of the cons for working for a consultancy usually is that it's very short to medium term engagements. 
Um, like personally, I never felt that attached to the teams that I was working with because I was never fully part of it. But you know, that that's a con for like a startup and a big company where you get to actually be within a team and you get to like stay with that team for a long period of time and like know everyone and be friends with everyone. Um, so with startups, like the difference there is that you get to make a much larger impact on some of the security work that you do. Um, and it's also more opportunities to kind of take lead and ownership on projects. Um, and which also means that you can get promoted faster, which is great. Um, I think the cons with a startup is that you actually get less time for deep technical work, um, in a security space because you're trying to just work on those basic foundations that you don't have time to like build some crazy, like, um, really high performance, like security code scanning service or some security program. Um, or an incident response program, for example. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the cons. Uh, but yeah, with big organizations, like, yeah, the pros is pretty much the opposite that you can get to do deep technical work because your role is like usually very, uh, specific to your team and function and it's very specialized. So, mm. yeah. and also I think another big pro is that like you, you get definitely get much higher total compensation usually, especially if you're working for big tech. So. That's like yeah. another kind of factor to think about too. Well, thanks for that. Actually, the consultancy, you now that you mention it, it's quite obvious that it's actually its own unique experience subset where it can give you, it has its own pros and cons, which is yeah, quite, exactly. quite uh, well articulated there. Thanks, thanks for that, Brian. Um, continuing our discussion on creating an AppSec program, let's talk about the aspect of stakeholders, right? When one, one, when you are sort of rolling out a program like this, do you get much pushback from different stakeholders? Yeah, so I definitely do. Um, regardless of wherever I work, like startups or big corp, like it's I've always gotten pushback um, from either peers or uh, like you know engineering teams, of course. Um, so yeah, it's definitely prevalent. Uh, so I guess like one example of like pushback uh, would be say for example uh, uh, developers having to review security alerts from a new code scanning service that I implement um, and obviously the pushback kind of or objection would be like oh well we have to do extra work now and mm. kind of look at these issues and it's going to waste our time we might have to come talk to you and stuff it'll add friction to the workflow um, so that's usually like an example of like a kind of common feedback. Uh, on second thought, I should have not only focused maybe on the negative aspects of working with stakeholders, but I think I should ask more of a holistic aspect as well. Like uh, when it comes to engaging with uh, stakeholders, is it any different uh, for a startup versus um, a big co company? Um, it's definitely not. Uh, I think what I found what I found at big companies is um, the way you communicate is going to be exactly the same thing. Like there's just more people in the organization chart that you might have to reach out to. But at the end of the day, like um, you still have the opportunity, like with, you know, Slack or whatever software you use to just reach out to someone. Um, even if it's like at a director level or senior director level, or even above that, you can always reach out to someone and um, ask them for like kind of help or to communicate like a new um, service that you're, you're trying to build that might impact their team. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's any different, really. Okay. Um, in that case, do you have any general suggestions on handling different stakeholders on how do you, how do you properly communicate with them? Any, any lessons you have learned over the years? 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, one important thing is kind of usually to do like a write-up of like a security initiative or an idea that you're trying to introduce and then making sure that you use very plain English um, so that people understand what you're doing uh, or talking about because they're very short on time, of course, just like you are. Um, and then kind of focusing on business and benef- uh, business business outcome and benefits rather than kind of technical outcomes um, because most people, especially at like a higher level, can uh, connect better um, when you're talking about business outcomes because uh, that's usually kind of what they're, um, uh, I guess, awarded on or assessed on somewhat. The main um, concern of most people, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think the idea is to kind of do that right up and then socialize it very early on um, and then give a chance for people to add their input into um, whatever initiative you're trying to do. Uh, so don't wait to the last minute and then tell them out of nowhere or tomorrow I'm going to enable this security <laughs> code scanning feature. Good luck. Um, if you have questions, <laughs> ping me on Slack. Like, yeah, don't do that. Definitely, um, yeah, write it up. Um, so I think that advice goes to uh, any sort of company you work at, really. Mm. Yeah. Just, just a quick question. In regards to communicating to high management, do you usually mention any financial savings that you have uh, by placing either security tooling or policies and procedures in place? 100%, yeah. I think security is always a very hard, um, very difficult thing to put a dollar value to. Um, but the way that I usually try to do it is, um, I, uh, for example, at Salesforce, like if I was trying to create a security program um, that would reduce, you know, um, X amount of bugs uh, every single year, for example, um, uh, so let's say the critical bugs, right? And then I look at like a bug bounty program and see like how much money we're paying out for critical bugs. And if we're, if we're saving like, you know, 20 critical bugs from being reported, then that's a lot of money, like 20 times, potentially like $10,000, for example. And that's a lot of cost savings for business. Um, and that's just a random example. Like I'm sure there's, there's actually a lot. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more impact that has been made. Cool. So Surya, I'll pass it back to you if you have any further questions? Yeah, uh, want to get a bit more in terms of like influencing. So influencing stakeholders, like sometimes you end up in situations where not everyone in the room is going to agree with your policy or maybe a tool that you want to add into you, uh, your organization. So how do you get in? Uh, how do you deal with the situation in a much more better way? And what differences do you see between a startup and a large organization? Yeah, I think definitely influence-wise at a big org is a lot more difficult because there's a lot more stakeholders involved in like what you're trying to do. And there's also a lot more competitors in terms of like um, potentially peers or other security teams which are doing exactly the same thing you're doing already, except they think you, they can do it better than you. So it's like, it's yeah, that's the big difference, um, I guess, between a startup versus a big org. But um, yeah, I think in, in terms of like how to actually do influence, I think it's just trying to be a good person and like hang out with people and get to know people and just try to talk with people and attend kind of their, uh, their rituals, attend social events, just, yeah. And as much as like, you know, sometimes our deep technical security people, we are like, and we, we don't want to like network and all that stuff. Like, unfortunately, like when you're at a level where you're kind of a, a senior or, or you're a lead or you're above that or staff or principal um, kind of level, you kind of have to do, that influencing and you have to think about um, doing that sort of, I guess, networking. But just, you know, if you're someone that naturally enjoys like talking with people and just hanging out with people, I think it's not too bad. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you say building relations is key to your success. A hundred percent at that level. Yes. You definitely need to. Yeah. Um, have you ever had it? Uh, my, one of the sort of things I'm wondering is that at larger companies, right? So we also have security related OKRs and metrics that are not just maintained by the security team that are often a shared responsibility of different wide various product teams. So have you ever felt, ever felt that utilizing those OKRs and communicating those are easier, well, whereas in startups, maybe the top priority is not necessarily um, that security posture. It, it can be often finding that product market fit or getting the product out as quickly as possible. So do you have any thoughts regarding that? Yeah, actually, actually, like from my current experience now and in past startups I've worked at, um, a lot of the OKRs at like the top leadership level uh, can be tied directly back down to kind of like the security um, objectives that I'm trying to do or the security kind of individual team like OKRs. Um, and the reason for that is like, I feel like, yeah, the companies I worked at in the past, they're very security focused and it's always top of mind, which is amazing. And like they've always made sure that like one of the top things is um, having customer trust. Um, and I know like you guys at Atlassian have that as well. Like trust is like basically a value and it encompasses like a lot of different areas of risk. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that that's actually really insightful. Yeah, uh, thanks for that. I'm going to jump over to a different topic uh, in regards to scale. Uh, as you know, startups want to start scaling up their products and solutions as quickly as possible. And things even in larger organizations, they can spin up a new instance or new environment completely and start spinning up solutions at a large scale. So how do you deal with scale in general? Yeah, um, I think I kind of slightly addressed this earlier before. I think the best way to deal with scale is be mindful that um, always try to uh, think about like secure defaults um, and how you can kind of embed secure defaults into your organization's like workflow, especially like your engineering workflow. Um, but I think the answer also kind of depends on the size of your company. So say if you're like a 50 person startup with like a five to 10 person engineering team, uh, you probably don't even need to think about any of that. You can probably just run like tools locally against the code base, like once a day to uh, find, like uh, to get findings mm -hmm. uh, as an example. Um, but I guess like once when you're kind of, when you want to reach that sort of size or scale um, of like, a couple of hundred person company to like thousands, then yeah, you definitely should think about uh, generally trying to, you know, buy a decent tool that can help you, um, do that, automate a lot of that work for you. Um, but like buying versus build and like in terms of buying, like it's not always the best approach um, because you can't kind of predict changes to some of the tools you buy or either like the security landscape might change at times or there might be changes in your business. And then if you purchase a tool, you might be locked into it, um, especially if you create like automation and processes around it. Um, and I've seen that happen a few times. So um, yeah, like the build versus buy question is always a very difficult one to answer, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned uh, to for the scalability part so far, I think that trade-off you have versus buy, versus buy versus build, you need to sort of plan your resources properly. So ensure on the long term, you, you, you're taking the correct approach and that secure by default was another highlight for me that making sure that from early on, we have that processes that we can then 
use them to magnify security's coverage. Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to add more actually about the process part. Like it's super important to have well-defined processes and document them. And then also, um, again, like communicate and uh, get buy-in from leadership and like peers on that process. Um, because there's no point of creating a process if no one agrees to it, right? So true. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Good, good to get buy-in. Yeah, so I think a good example of that is like um, one super important thing uh, that you need to set out uh, when doing an application security program is you need to create like a bold management process um, so that the entire business kind of understands how findings will be triaged. Um, in fact, how they'll be identified in the first place, um, how they'll be triaged, the SLA for engineering teams to resolve those issues and how ownership of those vulnerabilities are even determined. Um, so that's kind of a, like a really good example of like um, establishing a process uh, very well, very early on in the kind of uh, maturity level of security. Yep, I absolutely agree with that. I think uh, from an incident response standpoint, if you ever think about it, you always want to know what your plan is during an incident. Uh, you want to know the steps you want to take. People usually start to panic, uh, will start to do actions that are suboptimal and you end up taking longer time to fix the issues. So having a known process across the organizations makes people comfortable and allows them to take appropriate steps and actions to remediate the issue as quickly mm. as possible. Exactly, yeah, very well said. And I think adding on to that established process part, uh, what I've seen in, uh, at, at my company that it has two major benefits. One is that when, as we are onboarding new and new people and as the startup is growing, and even in our case, even though we are not necessarily a startup anymore, but we are, we are still growing at that startup pace uh, for a while now, that there's so many new people joining us every every month and sometimes every week. And having all that, all that in one single place as a source of truth, it's very easy to communicate. So people are more up to date and we have that shared common language we can speak on. Uh, we don't, we never get confused on security review versus threat model. Are we meaning the same things? What are the scope, what are the actions? And the second thing is uh, one of the things we have, we are trying to do is the act of self, self-servicing. So a lot of our security practices, the way we realized is to keep up with the, um, pace of developers is sometimes to get uh, get um, out of their way, but still ensure that we have proper security uh, processes built into that whole development pipeline. And one of the ways is uh, if developers want a security's attention, um, create that self-service part of, you know, self- what can be security reviews, it can be running those SAST and DAS tools, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And having those documented in the first place allows us to look at automation, look at self-servicing and those other things, which I think is, is a very, very good point. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, definitely agree with self-servicing as well. Like that's that's um very good way to kind of um, scale your company, uh, scale your security program as well to have like the engineering teams or like stakeholders actually uh, have to, uh, they can just go in and reach some sort of portal and get what they need to know about like this sort of thing service they're trying to build instead of like having to reach out to you all the time. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I'll say the other thing also to add on to that, you could also have like people packages that are commonly used for in terms of like authentication and authorization, uh, which you know is secure and can be regularly updated and monitored by the security team. 
Exactly, yeah. And that's that's another secure default as well, right? Like yeah. having those pre-built secure libraries that developers can just simply import and use. Cool beans. Um, okay, so we've been talking about um, growing the organization's security posture and doing all of these. Uh, and so far in terms of the processes side, moving on more onto the uh, uh, kind of like a, as a as a one of the early hires, you also need to do uh, management and uh, plan for maturity and all those things, right? So let's talk a little bit about um, bringing in that maturity. So the first question, sort of, um, I was wondering on is strategic projects versus KTLO tasks, right? You have your basic tasks, and even even as in a startup, you need to do certain. Um, what we call business as usual BAU tasks to make sure that the products are being uh, built securely versus you have your strategic projects that you're doing over a long period of time to establish new practices, processes, tools, etc. cetera. Um, how do you find a balance between those two? Yeah, I think it's, it's a good question. Like it's very, sometimes it could be quite difficult to find a balance because uh, as we all know like security like random things could come up like random vulnerabilities or zero days can come up which you suddenly have to like respond to um and then you might have like you know customer issues that come up that you gotta um, assist with as well or just like third party like vendor kind of things as well uh so yeah definitely i think it's, it's about being very um uh very organized at the start so um usually kind of like a quarterly kind of like planning session where I'll set aside time for BAU. And to me, I usually typically set aside about 50% of my time um, to work on BAU stuff versus um, 50% of time working on security initiatives. And that could be like plus or minus like 20% even. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about, I guess, being flexible and also um, understanding the fact that um, you're not going to be able to spend 100% of your time like doing cool security programs, you're going to have to do a lot of BAU as a security engineer. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Um, on that same tangent, um, into now let's again from processes to people, uh, in terms of the headcounts, growing growing the company's headcount, and how do you plan for that? And how do you allocate resources and all those things? Yeah, so I like to usually look at... Um, kind of resourcing two quarters in advance. So uh, what that means is like, I kind of split it up into um, the first quarter where I create the business case for having someone, or actually, sorry, even before that, let's go, let's go before yeah. that. So sure. let's look at the actual security roadmap, right? So as the initial security engineer in the company, like you've, your job is usually to kind of have a security roadmap that's been built out. So you kind of know what you're going to work on possibly for in the next like two to three years, um, possibly even shorter than that. Um, so you want to identify kind of the gaps and skills, um, that is needed to achieve that roadmap. Um, so say next year, if I want to, um, improve my security incident response function, I'm going to need someone who has experience, um, in like incident response stuff. So I want to start creating like a business case for this, um, IR person already, um, like two quarters beforehand, um, and then back that up with like kind of data and stats if possible. And then again, focus on like business outcomes when I'm writing that business case. Mm. Uh, and then in the quarter afterwards, like once I get approval, um, I'll spend that quarter um, trying to hire someone because typically like security people take quite a while to find at least very good security people. Uh, so I usually give it about like two months to find someone and then like 
give them like you know a month or expect like a month for their notice period so that that makes up to about be about like a quarter interesting so just to recap what you said is it all comes first to that strategy or roadmap uh, that's the starting point and once you have that roadmap then you it's you divide it in in different quarters we talked about the two quarter approach in the first quarter you're sort of creating that business case identifying gaps in that roadmap and then in the second quarter you're sort of um, working on filling in that uh, that requirement exactly right yeah okay Cool. Well, I think that takes care of most of the questions. And uh, thank you, Brian, so much for um, answering all those so patiently and diligently that that just shared so much info and so much golden nuggets there. Um, so do you have any last advice uh, for others in your position? Um, I think the advice is like, yeah, get in on AppSec work. Like it's definitely like a very um, niche industry and it's like right for disruption. There's like so much more to do in AppSec at the moment, um, especially towards, um, especially when like a lot of companies are moving towards like modern engineering practices. So like using like cloud services and like infrastructure as code. So yeah, there's always a job in AppSec. So definitely um, take a look at it if you already aren't working in the industry. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, would you encourage others to give a shot at startups as well? And uh, any any of the highlights you wanted to share? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, I think definitely give a shot at working for startups. Like, there's so many passionate people working there, very smart people as well. Um, and you get to learn basically like one year's worth of work in like three to four months, um, which is necessarily not, not necessarily a good thing because sometimes it's a lot of work, but I think as a person who's starting out in industry or um, even midway, it's very good opportunities there for you to um, learn things. So, yeah, good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Um, and thanks wholeheartedly from uh, the Everything Cyber. And I hope this was super helpful for the audience as well. And it was suddenly quite valuable for me. I learned uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah. And we're looking forward to more conversations like this one. Cool. Yeah, no problem at all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for you to say something. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. okay. All right, all right. Oh, good. Uh, I'll probably just leave that there. As a <laughs> or I'll, I'll see when I edit it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's wrap it up. Yeah, that, that's about it. <laughs>